WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. As we close the book on 2022 and look into the new year, there's a lot of decisions that could shape our world. Everything, everything from how to get to work to how much you're having to fork over at the grocery store. That is why we're looking at two big topics facing Charlotte and North Carolina, transit and our economy. Cats looking to hire its next CEO in the new year, and now an influential organization laying out their wish list for the next generation of transit leaders here in Charlotte. And a little bit later, we'll take a look at the state of our economy here in Charlotte as recession fears loom. But first, joining us now is Meg Finsel. She's with Sustained Charlotte. It's a, a group advocating for, for specifically smart growth uh, here in our city. Meg, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So your group releasing a what it's called a, a wish list uh, of stuff that you all would like to see from Charlotte area transit as we go into the new year. Uh, and, and you start simple. Uh, you're talking about more predictable service and, and, and better bus stops. Are, are, are those things uh, really that important at this point? Those are the basics and they are absolutely essential. If we don't make sure that our, our bus service is fast, frequent, reliable and walkable, it's going to be really hard for people just to get to and from jobs and other daily destinations. So those are the essentials that we absolutely have to get right. So that's the very top of our wish list. And another, what I would see as a basic, but I, I cover these things so I know like you know that it's not a basic, but happy and, and safe drivers as well. Yeah, so the drivers really provide the daily service to our passengers who use the bus and the light rail, the special transportation services and the streetcar. So all across the country, this is certainly not a, a challenge unique to cats, but all across the country, transit agencies are facing challenges, hiring and retaining transit drivers as well as maintenance staff. And so it's, it's essential that the people who provide our transit service in Charlotte have good pay, that they have schedules that can allow them to take care of themselves and their families, that they have safe working conditions. And, and just a lot of drivers are, are feeling fatigued. They work through the hardest days of the pandemic and they need support. I want to talk about financing in just a second, because I know that's a, a, a big part of this, um, just a practical part of it. But before we get to that, what, or perhaps I should say who, has been the, the, the biggest impediment to us having more progress on the transit front? Well, there are definitely a lot of factors. The, the biggest factor is it's just expensive to provide uh, transit service and, and to be able to have 15 minutes or more frequent services, which is really the, the gold standard. If, if buses aren't coming every 15 minutes, then it's really hard for people to make connections, especially if they have to transfer between routes. So it's, there's not any any one single person or entity that is a barrier. It, it's just that the incremental way that we have been investing in our transit service has not kept up with the pace of our rapidly growing population. And we need new funding sources if we are going to grow and meet those mobility needs of our population and, and, and to be competitive as a city. A lot of people have moved during the pandemic and many people have moved to Charlotte. People have moved away from Charlotte. So if we want to be competitive as a city, a county, a region, we need to be investing in the transportation choices that we know that that workers want to have access to. We also need to make sure that we're taking care of the needs of people who 
uh, are aging and maybe don't drive a car anymore. And, and people with disabilities, you, you, people who choose not to have a car. And so when we think about the barriers, the main factor is is funding, really. And, and speaking of that, <laughs> that direct source of funding, I mean, specifically, are you directly referring to that one cent sales tax or are you talking about even broader than that? So this really need, it needs to be a regional conversation. Charlotte and Mecklenburg County don't exist in a vacuum. About half of the people that work in Charlotte are coming from outside of Mecklenburg County. So we need to be thinking regionally and the Connect Beyond Regional Mobility Study really took a look at how we can connect Charlotte and Mecklenburg County to the surrounding counties in our region. Um, so we need to be having that, that regional conversation, but we also can be moving forward at the county level with that one cent for mobility sales tax that would dramatically increase the revenue, not just to build out the public transit system, but also to invest in safe places to ride bicycles, better pedestrian infrastructure, like you know, we have tremendous sidewalk needs across across the county, um, safer intersections, greenways, and just improving connectivity. Let, let me put you on the spot here. Um, for uh, 20 years, there's been talk about a commuter line up to the northern parts of Mecklenburg County. Um, it seems like right now, more talk is happening on the Silver Line, which would go from Gaston County, stretch through past the airport, uptown, go down approximately 74 out towards the Matthews. Which do you think is more important? Which do you think should be getting priority? So both of those projects can move forward. Uh, there would potentially be different funding sources for them and the red line commuter rail up through Mecklenburg County. Uh, that is something that residents, not only of Charlotte, but especially those towns in North Mecklenburg have been waiting for, as you said, for over 20 years. And we are finally seeing some movement. Sustained Charlotte created a, a petition and directed it to the heads of the North Carolina Railroad and Norfolk, Norfolk Southern, really asking them to work with CATS to come up with a plan to allow the red line to run on that um, that line that is owned owned but not currently used for freight by Norfolk Southern. And recently, the Metropolitan Transit uh, Commission, which is the governing body of CATS, decided to advance the design of the red line, which hadn't been updated in a very long time. So that's the next critical stage to make that project eligible for them to then apply for federal funding. So, um, you know, in terms of, of timing, these are both really critical projects and they both deserve priority. Okay, I got two quick questions. Uh, so, so I wanna get them in in the last minute. Uh, for what do you think Norfolk Southern has a renewed interest? Because in the past, having covered this for years now, they've seemed resistant, has that changed? I know that there, you know, there are conversations that are that are happening um, among leaders, and we we don't know all the details of those. But um, the the actual vote by the Metropolitan Transit Commission to advance the red line design is a very good indicator that that there is progress happening, that there is hope, and um, you know the the current policy is is not to allow commuter rail on freight lines. Uh, owned by Norfolk Southern, uh, but we have seen some some flexibility in other states. And uh, we certainly hope that those conversations continue and that this really critical project can move forward because the people in North Mecklenburg deserve that mobility option. Final question. 
to the folks out there who say, you know what, I drive to work, I don't use the bus, I don't use the blue line, I don't use a, the gold line either. Why does it matter to them? So if we think about it, by 2040, so just 17 years from now, we could have double the number of daily vehicle trips, double the number of, of cars out on our roads if we don't invest in public transit. So even if you never set foot on public transit, it is worth investing in so that our roads aren't congested. And we also, most of us have you know, family members and friends. We can all think of somebody who doesn't drive a car. So it's really cr critical for equity um, that we make sure that, that people have choices for, for how to get around. And also just for our economy, we, we need to be able to connect people to jobs and opportunities and not leave out those people that don't drive. All right, Meg Fensel. Meg, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. It's been another tough year for the economy. Prices for a lot of different things from homes to groceries remain high with high interest rates still hanging around. And one local economist now making his predictions about a possible recession going into 2023. Joining us now is John Connaughton. He's an economics professor at UNC Charlotte's Belk College of Business. He's also the director of the North Carolina Economic Forecast. Uh, professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, leave it to me as a journalist to, to overly simplify the, the hard work you do uh, on, a, on a daily basis. But if you can, what noticeable changes, perhaps like on the granular level, at the pocketbook level, do you think folks are going to see in the economy come next year? Well, I think that you know, we're, we're, we're watching an event in slow motion, which is the Fed trying to wrestle with bringing down inflation. We've all experienced a year and a half of inflation uh, going back to uh, early 21. Um, and, you know, it's, it seems to have peaked this summer, but we still have, you know, 7% inflation. Um, over that period of time, uh, prices have gone up since August of 20 when this, when the pandemic was essentially over. Uh, from August of 20 to today, prices have gone up by over 15%, but households' wages have only gone up by about 11%. So there's that 4% gap. And, you know, right now we're about 4% worse off. But looking forward into 2023, you know, as I say, it's been this sort of slow motion process where prices have going up, going up. The Fed this year has been raising interest rates in an attempt to try to break the inflation cycle. And it's going to be real interesting to see it just kind of as it slowly rolls out in early 23. Uh, will the Fed be able to do this with a so-called soft landing? Or are they going to go ahead and have to put us into a recession to break the, uh, the inflation pressure, if you will? And uh, that's going to be a very interesting story. But for most of us, it's going to play out, as I say, very, very slowly over the year. And we probably won't know very much about how the year went until about this time next year. So so this time next year, uh, when, when I'm interviewing you once again, looking ahead to 2024, do you think we will be in a better place uh, from an inflationary standpoint than we are right now? Oh, I think so. I think by the end of 23, we'll see inflation come down to a level that's still too high for the Fed and, and really too high for a long term. But from a consumer standpoint, I think we'll, we'll if the Fed holds to their current plan, 
um, doesn't lose confidence, doesn't get a little shaky, um, and let off the brakes too soon, I think by this time next year, we'll probably be looking at a 3 to 4% uh, rate of inflation. Um, and during early 24, the Fed should be able to, if they, they keep at it and, and stick to their guns, they should be able to get it back down into the 2% range in 2024. Okay. Why do you think, it seems like North Carolina has been somewhat, uh, proven to be somewhat resilient uh, in all of this. Sure, we have inflation, but, but still it seems like our, our economy is booming in, in all sorts of sectors. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I, I think that you know, when you look at the two poles, uh, the Triangle and Charlotte, uh, they have industry structures in those uh, communities or those metropolitan areas um, that are somewhat resilient. Uh, you know, the tech industry and in, in Raleigh area and, of course, business and finance in Charlotte um, have been so far, so far, have not taken a big hit. Now, going forward in 23, I think that's a little bit more risky for both communities. Um, we'll see what we'll see what happens. But recessions are not good for tech, and recessions are not good for the finance industry. All we have to do is remember 2008-9 um, and how hard we got hit here in Charlotte, anyway, um, as a result of trouble in the finance industry. And I think you said recently you do not think that we'll go into a recession. Do, do you still feel that way? Uh, well, again, feel, you know, it's it's a probability. Um, I'm putting it at about one-third in 2023 that we'll have a recession, two-thirds uh, that it won't be called. Slow down, I think, certainly. But what the Fed is projecting right now is going to be very hard to call a recession. What Jay Powell said uh, earlier this week in his press conference was the Fed model expect very modest growth, around a half a percent. I'm forecasting about a little over percent for North Carolina in 2023, and the unemployment rate to uh, barely hit 5%. That's the Fed's estimate of what, if they stick to their program, that's their estimate of what's going to happen in 23. Um, it's going to be hard to call that a recession, and I think that, you know, only if it gets worse, um, and they aren't really able, again, soft landing, maybe not, but uh, maybe not a bouncy landing either. So I think that the probability here is that about a one-third chance that we will slip into recession in 23, about two-thirds that we'll just have a very, very slow growth year. Gotcha. When it comes to inflation, do you think that um, are, are there certain goods or services or items that, that you think we're going to see relief on? Oh, I think we've already started to see relief on energy. And to a certain extent, a lot of what caused the ramp up, particularly to the high rates of inflation this summer, was energy. When you take energy and food out of the CPI, excuse me, when you take energy and food out of the CPI, it drops back down uh, to around 6%. So I think it'll be a while before we start to see a break in food prices. It'll be a while before we start to see a break in shelter prices. Uh, but we're already seeing a break in energy. That's causing us to slow the rate of inflation. We call this dis deflation, uh, excuse me, dis disinflation, where the rate of inflation slows. Um, but we probably won't see much on the food side or the housing side until uh, 23. And uh, as far as the housing is concerned, it'll be late 23 before we start to see any break in that. Speaking of that, that's my last question. The housing market here in Charlotte has appeared almost impervious to the other factors uh, uh, surrounding it. Uh, what do you think is going to happen next year when it comes to, to homes, uh, the market itself, and their prices? 
Well, it, again, it depends on where the feds goes with, with interest rates. Uh, right now, the, the, the betting money uh, is suggesting that they're probably going to go to a, a peak uh, federal funds rate, about five and a half percent. Um, if they do that in early 23, I think that'll probably mean that the mortgage rates, 30-year fix, will probably push 7% during most of 23. Um, that's going to take some bite out of prices, uh, but not a lot of bite out of prices because housing stock is, is low. Um, and even basically no matter what we're not going to we're not going to change the housing stock shortage uh, for for several years and maybe even not then uh, so that's going to keep pressure on prices for single family homes and also for um, rental units as well John Connaughton, one of the smartest people around when it comes to talking about this stuff and, and, and does a superb job of, of making it seem um, understandable to the rest of us. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Homeowners banking on mortgage help are growing more desperate as foreclosure notices start to arrive. They expected financial assistance from the North Carolina Homeowners uh, Assistance Fund months ago, but the pandemic program remains slow to deliver. WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido introduces us to one woman fighting for approval. The state hired a company called Innovative Emergency Management to oversee the federally funded pandemic program. IEM has received roughly 2,300 complaints and questions, most related to payments and processing time. Here he comes. For a few minutes, that go. Duke gives Brianne Bachman a needed distraction. Hi, baby. It's all smiles with her dog in the backyard of her Matthews home. But then reality sets in. I was told that I would be receiving a foreclosure notice in the mail. Bachman is five months behind on her mortgage. I worked very hard. Um, to get this home. And the financial um, help she expected months ago hasn't arrived. But that foreclosure notice has. And I really don't want to lose it. Bachman moved in in 2016. She lives here with her mother, who works part-time, and of course, their golden retriever. It's very dog-friendly. The 37-year-old lost her job as a nanny when the pandemic hit. Uh, it's so exhausting. Bachman says she's battling a traumatic brain injury from a car crash and has since applied for disability. In the meantime, she's struggling to pick which medications to refill and which bills to pay. It was just a brick wall. All as she says the NC Homeowner Assistance Fund has failed to deliver. To just be so let down. Even basic communication. It, it just breaks my heart. An August internal audit flagged a need for the state's contractor, Innovative Emergency Management, to be more proactive with its communications, an effort the North Carolina Housing Finance Agency said is well underway. That's one of those areas we're trying to improve on. Also in progress, removing roadblocks to speed things up. We just ask for patience in the process. IEM's more than $20 million contract with the state makes it clear. Time is of the essence. Records show the state chose the North Carolina-based business over several others, noting IEM's prior experience with successful disaster recovery programs. The agency hasn't penalized the company as of yet, but also hasn't paid IEM for its services since January, as the state disputes a bill and the company hasn't followed up with any new invoices. <laughs> I mean, it was just joy. 
back at Breanne Bachman's house. It's exciting. Now, almost a week later, a rare positive sign. Her application appears to be finally moving forward. Now, you're mm -hmm. not out of the woods yet. No. You are in a better place, though. Yes. Thanks in part to a nudge from us. Nothing was happening until you came into the picture. A glimmer of hope for one homeowner. Thank you so much. As thousands of others hold out hope for good news, too. In a statement, IEM told us in part the company recognizes it's taking longer than expected to pay people, adding stress to already vulnerable homeowners. The company says it's making necessary improvements with some progress. And for those still waiting, IEM says it's working diligently to pay them as quickly as possible. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. And as we leave you folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know if there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint. We talk about all sorts of fun things. And remember, you can always listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend. Have a great week, everybody.